prayer teams. Uh, I want to, before we go into the message, I want to lead a prayer. So you've heard me, some of you have heard me lead this prayer before from the 13th century by a guy named Richard of Chester. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for all the benefits you have won for us, for all the pains and insults you have borne for us. Most merciful Redeemer, friend and brother, may we know you more clearly, love you more dearly, and follow you more nearly day by day. Amen. Well, to start the message, I'm going to do something that we do every once in a while here. It's a little quirky thing that we do at Faith Westwood where I'm going to ask you to join together in groups of three or four and, uh, and huddle up. And today I want you to just simply share, what's your favorite Christmas song? Uh, so maybe you'd say what your favorite Christmas song is and why you particularly are fond of it. Uh, so as you create groups of three or four, if you can't think of an answer, that's okay. Don't worry about it. Or if you just rather not share, that is fine too. Uh, and and at, once you sort of get your huddle, look quickly around you, see if you find somebody uh, close by that is alone, and just say, hey, you want to join us, all right? So I'm going to give you a minute. What's your favorite Christmas song starting now? There go. I had one lady after the first service said hers was, Grandma got ran over by a reindeer. Uh, mine is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And so don't be surprised if we do that on Christmas Eve, right? Because that's my favorite. Uh, I, but I especially like how Charles Wesley, in the words, he, he worked into not just the, the glory of it, but the meaning of that. And probably second I would put in the bleak midwinter, which is probably not as well known. But anyway, so can you guess what is the, the best-selling single rec record of all time the best-selling single record of all time I'll give you a hint it's a Christmas song written by a Jewish guy you know what it is no it was written in 1940 by Irving Berlin bing you got it white Christmas uh, and and just so you know I took that picture in October that's, that's just not right, you know? Okay. Uh, here's the story. A few weeks after uh, the attack on Pearl Harbor, Bing Crosby sang White Christmas on a Christmas Day radio broadcast. It was a song from his upcoming movie, Holiday Inn. And after the broadcast, the Armed Forces Network was flooded with requests to play that song. Crosby's recording subsequently sold over 50 million copies. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas just like the ones I used to know where the treetops glisten and children listen to hear sleigh bells in the snow. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas with every Christmas card I write. May your days be merry and bright and sing the last part with me. And may all your Christmases be white. It's a sweet 
sentimental song. And that's what most people really want is a, is a sweet, sentimental Christmas. And that's probably what you would get here, a sweet, sentimental Christmas, except for one thing. We keep opening the Bible. We have this habit of opening the Bible to see what it says. And in the Bible, we don't find a sweet, sentimental Christmas. Instead, we find a very different kind of song. In Luke chapter 1, Mary has just learned that she'll give birth to, to the Messiah, the, the promised king, and she pours out her soul. You remember that? It used to be called, uh, that poem in there was called the Magnificat. Uh, it, from the Latin, but she says, I, my soul magnifies, my soul glorifies the Lord. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like a sweet, sentimental Christmas to me. Sounds like God's turning the world upside down. Sounds like a reset. This is the third Sunday in Advent, and we're continuing our series called Reset. As you can see from the screen, yesterday I decided to change the title to the message. All things new. Advent is the season of preparation for Christmas, and as Vicki said, the, the word Advent means the coming. And uh, throughout the centuries during Advent, uh, Jesus' followers have not only looked back to his coming as a child, they've also looked forward to his coming as a king. And so that's what we do. We look back on his coming as a baby, we look forward to his coming as a king when he will establish his kingdom for all time. I I cross the intersection at 144th and Harrison nearly every day. That's where a couple of weeks ago, Millard South ninth grader Trevor Kennedy was in a vehicle hit by another car. I, I didn't know Trevor. But when I heard that he was killed in that accident, my heart just sank within me. And I, and I thought, oh Lord, this is terrible. It's just so unfair that this could happen to this young boy. We live in a world where an intoxicated driver takes the life of a 14-year-old. But we look forward to a kingdom where we will be given new resurrection bodies that will not die. We live in a world where justice gets perverted and twisted and the weak are taken advantage of, but we look forward to a kingdom where God's justice will prevail. We live in a world where, where too often the rich get more and the poor stay poor. But we look forward to a kingdom where all will have abundance. And here's the deal. That future kingdom will not come until the king comes back. You hear what I'm saying? The future kingdom will not come until our king comes back. Let's open our Bibles, okay? 
Acts chapter 1, we're going to start with verse 9, a portion of the passage that, that Becky read for us. It's on page 10, excuse me, 1090. And uh, if you, maybe you just came today or you've been starting to come here and you don't, you don't have a Bible at home, hey, we want to help with that. Just take that pew Bible home. You can have it. You know, we buy them by the case, so they don't cost us that much. We would love for you to have it, and we'll, we'll, the ushers will put another one in after worship, okay? Now, the scene here that we're looking at takes place 40 days after Jesus' resurrection. He's already made a number of appearances to his followers. And this passage describes what we call his ascension. Verse 9 says, After he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Now, I don't think Jesus kept going, you know, like up and up into outer space. I think he entered God's space, what we call heaven. And, and in the Bible, a cloud was, was sometimes uh, a visible manifestation of God's space breaking into our space. <clears throat> By the way, on January 13th, we're starting a new series, and on that day, we're going to learn more about God's space and our space and how they overlap, all right? Now, verse 10. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Now, dressed in white, code language right there for angels, for all we know, it could have been the same two angels that, that talked to the women who came to the empty tomb, said Jesus was, was risen. <clears throat> I can just see those disciples standing, you know, there, looking up in the sky and then seeing the cloud kind of hiding Jesus, but trying to get a good view. Could they still see him? Is, is, is he still there? And, uh, and then one of the guys in white taps him on, one of them on the shoulder. <clears throat> the other one clears his throat. <clears> throat> uh, uh, guys... Men of Galilee, they said, uh, why, why are you standing here looking up in the sky? They said, he's gone, but he's not gone for good. Verse 11 continues. This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back. Say those three words with me, will you? Jesus will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. You know, we find that promise throughout Scripture. Jesus himself said it many times. He, 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 he accomplished God's victory through his death and resurrection, but his kingdom is not yet complete. He will come back to finish the job. And that, my friends, is part of Advent. How ridiculous would it be to celebrate his past coming as a baby and, and completely ignore his future coming as a king? Now, obviously, Jesus doesn't want us to spend all day looking up at the clouds, trying to see if we can see him coming in any of them. Uh, but whatever that day is going to look like, and I can't really tell you. I don't know. I, I can't conceive of exactly what it's going to be like, how it's going to happen. But on that day, the king will return. And when he does, his kingdom will reside on earth as it is in heaven. The dead in Christ will rise and all that's wrong and sick and evil about this world will be scrubbed clean 
and made pure and holy. And so today, every time we see the pain and evil and injustice in this world, we find this cry rising up within us for the king to come back and make all things new. In the book of Revelation, we find that prayer of longing. Simply, come, Lord Jesus. Oh, this cry, come, Lord Jesus. And we also hear in Revelation, Jesus say, I have made all things new. So I've combined them into one prayer. Here it is. Come, Lord Jesus. We long for the day when you will make all things new. Will you say it with me? Come, Lord Jesus. We long for the day when you make all things new. In 1943... Dietrich Bonhoeffer was in a Nazi prison for conspiring against the Fuhrer. He compared Advent to his prison cell. Now, isn't that kind of odd? He compared Advent to his prison cell. He said Advent is about waiting and hoping that one day that door will be opened. Right now, we live in the present world, but we don't belong to the present world. We belong to Jesus' kingdom, and we wait for him like a prisoner awaiting release. In our nostalgic pursuit of a sweet, sentimental Christmas, we miss out on that deeper truth. Advent is about waiting. It's about faithful waiting. It's about sometimes painful waiting. And the cry in our hearts, come Lord Jesus, we long for the day when you will make all things new. What will that day look like? What will that new kingdom be like? The book of Revelation pictures our future home as a great city, the new Jerusalem. Here's what we know. It will be a place of peace and safety with no more war, no more violence, no more fear. It will be a place of activity. The gates of the city will always be open and people will come and go freely. It will be a place of breathtaking beauty where the city is described as being made with gold and jewels. It'll be a place where people from every tribe and language and ethnicity and nation are united as God's people. Our differences will no longer divide us. It'll be a place of happiness and health in our new resurrection bodies. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. It'll be a place where we are purified of our sin. We will still be ourselves. We will still have our identity, but we will be cleansed of our sin. And those who refuse to be cleansed will not be allowed to enter. It will be a place where God will be visible to us. His presence will be our light. It will be a place where each of us receive a new name. Did you know that? Each of us will receive a new name and together 
we will sing a new song. I wonder what that song will be. And so we keep waiting and we keep praying. Come, Lord Jesus. We long for the day when you make all things new. But here's the other side of it. Jesus has already begun making all things new. When you belong to Jesus, you become God's new creation. You are scrubbed clean of the guilt of your sin. You are made new as a child of God. And you are being made new every day. It's happening to people all over the world. Last Sunday... And the next couple of days after that, over 100 people from the Early Rain Covenant Church in Chengdu, China, were arrested and taken into custody. Including their senior pastor, Wang Yi, and his wife. In China, unless a church registers with the government and agrees to promote some government propaganda, it's considered illegal. The early rain church refuses to register. They refuse to uh, promote any government propaganda. That's why Wang Yi and the others are in jail today. And when I hear about that, when I hear about what's happening to the people of the early rain church, I just want to cry out to the Lord. Oh, Lord. Wouldn't this be a good time for you to come? Come, Lord Jesus. We long for that day when we will be set free, when you will make all things new. Pastor Wang Yi wrote a letter before he was arrested and asked that it be published if he were detained for more than 48 hours. He hasn't been, last I knew, he hasn't been heard from since Sunday. His letter is entitled, my Declaration of Faithful Disobedience. Uh, it was translated and published, translated into English and published uh, on a blog that you could find at chinapartnership.org. If you want to follow up and read it, just go ahead. chinapartnership.org. Wang Yi says his goal in faithful disobedience is not to change China's laws. He's not trying to do that. He's not trying to change the government, not trying to change any laws. He said his goal is to prove to the world the real existence of another world. And it's because of the faithful witness of people like Wong Yi and those of the early Rain Covenant Church that more and more Chinese people are being made new through Christ. Many, year, many years ago, I was a confused, frustrated, angry teenager I didn't know if I believed in God, and I sure didn't know where Jesus fit into anything. But he didn't give up on me. He pursued me and found me and saved me. He made me his new creation, and he's been in the process of making me new ever since. And many of you have similar stories. I remember it was just a few years ago, Sandy Smith, sitting right here in the second row, she, uh, I brought her up here and she shared some of her story. I asked if I could kind of recap some of that today. She'd been going to this church for decades, kind of common but 
loosely coming. I don't know how to say how she described that. But uh, anyway, then she went to a walk to a mass retreat and somebody started reading the Ten Commandments at, at one point. And she thought, well, I don't need to hear this. I already know them. I'm not a sinner. But they not only read the Ten Commandments, they expanded them in such a way to give their fuller meaning. And as she heard them, it shook her to the core. And she realized, oh my, I am a sinner. And a little later, they had the banquet. And she happened to be sitting next to a portrait of Jesus. And she found herself beginning to cry. But they, it was a happy cry. She asked Jesus to come into her heart and turn her life around. She, she felt her hardened heart soften. She felt a presence in her that wasn't there before. From that day on, Jesus set her on a new path with a new purpose. The one who said, I am making all things new. In June, we sent a mission team uh, to Costa Rica. And uh, they, there, some of our team members met a teenage girl named Emily who was living in a nearby brothel. Um, some of the members of the team got to meet her and bless her and listen to her and share the good news with her. And then they prayed with her. And Emily opened the door of faith and she received Jesus. And I want you to know that people from Christ for the City are still in contact with Emily, following up with her, encouraging her. The battle between light and darkness continues in her life. But Jesus doesn't give up. He says, I am making all things new. And so, I want to ask you this question today. Would you like Jesus to make all things new in your life? Would you like to become his new creation? And I'm not saying that life is going to be easy from this point on. I'm sure it won't be. There will be struggles. There will be hardships. There will be suffering. That's life anyway, but when you follow Jesus, you can expect that from time to time. But here's the thing. God promises to be at work in your life, even in the good things and even in the bad things. He's at work in your life. Would you like Jesus to make you new? It's a yes or no question. It's not going to happen by going to church. It's not going to happen by just trying to be a nicer person. It happens when we humble ourselves and take a simple step of faith. Jesus, I need you to make me new. That's it, isn't it?
when we humble ourselves and take that simple step of faith. Jesus, I need you to make me new. And he is the one who can do that. He said, I am making all things new. And one day he will come back and he will finish what he began. Let's pray. Oh, so, Lord, some of us uh, could bear testimony to that, that you have come into our lives. You, we are made new in you, and yet we are in the process of being made new in you. But we cling to you because you have done that. And, and, and yet, Lord, there are others here who realize that that promise is still on the outside for them. That they're on the outside looking in. That they've been just content to, to go to church or to try to be a better person or to think that really, hey, I, I don't, I'm, I'm fine. I don't need it. And Lord, now for those that are looking from the outside and looking in, maybe some of you here today would say, I don't want to be on the outside anymore. I'll... I know that I need Jesus to make me new. And so, Lord, we want to join them in that simple step of faith. Jesus, I need you to make me new. Begin your great work in me. And Jesus, we are longing for the day when you come back and you, your work will be complete and your reign will be over all of creation. Oh, Lord, we are looking forward to the healing that will come to our lives and to this world, to all of creation. And we get to enjoy you and one another for all eternity. Lord, this is our hope, this is our faith, this is our longing, the longing of our hearts. We pray in your name. Amen.